0: 1 Timothy chapter four. Paul has just said to us, and this is what we discussed last week, that the church of the living God is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. That the church is the one that holds to the truth of God. That they are the ones that hold up the truth of the living God for the world to see. Not only by what we say, but by how we live and how we live together. That as as we hold to the Word of God, the truth of God, that our lives together will show forth the glory of God to the world. Now, make no mistake, that is the purpose of the church, the glory of God. That it's an incredible task that we have, that we are to be pillars and buttresses of the truth, the foundation of the truth. And even with that being true, I want you to listen to what Paul writes next in chapter four, beginning at verse one. He says, now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take your word now and you would write it upon our hearts. Lord, you would open our minds up to understand it, that as we think through and as we wrestle through, you would give us understanding, not simply so that we can know your word, but we can know the God who speaks his word. Not simply so that we can know your word, but that our lives would be transformed by it. That your church would be built by it. That your church would found its foundation, its buttress right there on your word. So Father, hold us steady and set our feet upon this word today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You thought you were about to get another long prayer, didn't you? Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Now, it could seem to to be that Paul's changing his subject here, that he was talking about truth, and now he's talking about faith. But when he says faith or the faith, he means that what people are doing is they're departing the content of our faith the truth of our faith, that there are going to be those who, when you look at their lives, by all accounts, they believed the gospel, that they looked like those people who were true believers. By all appearances, they lived the truth, they spoke the truth, they may have even taught the truth at some point, but now they've departed the truth that now they've went another direction completely. Paul isn't saying this might happen. There's a good chance you'll start seeing people depart the faith. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, the Spirit expressly says that this will happen, that some will depart the faith. It will happen, and we should expect it. I told you recently of a friend of mine that did this, that he left, he left completely, that he decided that he wasn't a Christian because he did not love God enough. And then he looked at all the churches in the city in which we were in, and it was a big city. And he said, well, I don't see them loving God enough either. So there are no true Christian churches anymore. So he just walked away from it all. He stopped doing it all. That's sometimes how it looks But what's interesting here is that that's not what Paul's talking about. And you see this often in the New Testament where Paul is talking about people who have fallen away from the truth, from the faith, but what they haven't done is fallen away from the church, that they're still in the church, Even in chapter one of this letter, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, this this Timothy, the pastor over the church in Ephesus, and he says, look, I left you there to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. He's not telling Timothy, go out into the city of Ephesus and stop people from teaching things that are contrary to the scriptures. He's saying, Timothy, They're in the church. They're right there with you. That's why I left you there so that you can deal with this. In the letter of Jude, Jude writes in verse three, look, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Catch that. They've fallen away from the faith, but they didn't leave the church. They actually crept into the church and they brought their false beliefs with them. Jude says later that they pervert the grace of God into sensuality and they they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I want you to listen. If you got your Bibles, let's turn over to Matthew 24 together. I want you to hear this starting at Matthew 24, verse three. This is Jesus talking, Jesus teaching. And this is what he says, Matthew 24, verse three. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Let me follow that up. If you don't have a Bible at all, I want you to go to that back window right over there and just grab one and you can have it. Take it home, open it, read it, study it, learn it. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse three, chapter 24 of Matthew. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when all these things And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is what the last days look like according to Jesus. Sound familiar? You know, we're there. Paul says that in later times, this is going to happen. Jesus says, the last days look just like this. But then verse 14 comes along. Let's not miss that one. Verse 14, he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. In C.S. Lewis's series, The Chronicles of Narnia, all the land of Narnia, the land of the king, has been in a long winter. And it's been a winter so long that they had actually begun to forget that there was something like summer, that there was something like spring, that the warmth of summer had just been forgotten about. The smell of flowers was a thing of the past. The beauty of life, they just didn't see it anymore. But then something happens. A word has come that a lion had been seen, that the king was on his way. Good news about a kingdom starts spreading on whispers and on the wind, and everybody's asking, could it be true? Is he coming? Is he on his way? I'm often asked, I feel like if we are in the end times, are these the last days? And I think the ultimate answer is yes, We are closer now than we've ever been. Sounds smart till you say it. (laughs) These are the last days. This is the winter. This is the time into which Paul and Jesus are speaking, but don't miss the fact that the word is out, that the lion has been seen that a word has come that the king who came once is coming again and his kingdom is coming with him, that there will be a day when the trumpet blasts, when the herald shouts and the king is revealed, that that day is coming, and on that day, our victory, the one that has been promised to us will finally be seen, can't wait, can you? Oh, it's gonna be awesome. But for now, many have fallen away. Many false prophets have risen. Look around, lawlessness is everywhere. The love of many has grown cold and there is no love of God. There is no love for his word. There's no love for his people. There's no love for the lost. Coldness is everywhere. Even in the congregation in Ephesus, false teachers have arisen. This is what Paul talked about in Acts 20. He calls the elders of the church at Ephesus together and he's speaking to them his final words because he knows he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to die and he will never see them again. And this is what he says in Acts 20. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. From among you will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And not, he says, I commend you to God and to what? The word of his grace, which is able to build you up And to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Fierce wolves are coming in, but I commend you to God and to his word. I commend you to God and to his truth. I commend you to God and to the faith. This is the issue right here. Are we a people of the word? For you, longtime Southern Baptists, that was the slogan in the 80s when we were wondering is the Bible inerrant? Does it have errors in it? Is it sufficient? Is it all we need? We fought that battle, what is that, 40 years ago almost? And we claim to be the people of the Word. Are we? Do we know that God's method, His means of sanctifying us, of making us more like Christ, is His Word? That the means of the church being the pillar and the buttress of the truth is the truth itself. Because make no mistake, there is a battle raging. You see it in our nation right now. Anything the word says, the world says the opposite. Anything the word values, the world casts aside. Paul says that those who depart the faith are doing so to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Now, if I had to guess, there may be like an age gap on how we look at that verse right there, right? When I was a young, when I, was young uh, I, I would hear people talking about all this demon nonsense, this devil nonsense and I would just scoff. Oh, they just see Satan behind every tree, behind every band behind every form of music, behind this. A demon's under every rock, behind every tree. Yeah, right. But then I got older, and I spent more time in the Word, and I realized this is a regular warning through the Scriptures. It is throughout to warn us. So you want to see Satan's work I mean, sure, you can see evidences of it in the world. Watch the Grammys or don't watch the Grammys. You'll see images of hell and Satan in the performance of Sam Smith this past year. And Taylor Swift, uh-oh. In Taylor Swift concert, she's practicing a form of witchcraft, of dancing, Or I didn't go, I saw a video of it. <laughs> you see her practicing and reenacting occult practices. Anybody seen the new statue on top of the appellate court in New York City? It's, a, it's, a, it's in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it's a golden statue of a, of a golden woman with ram's horns and tentacles for arms and for feet. It's actually quite fitting, Why? Because it's honoring her devotion to the sacrifice of children. And it looks strangely like the old pagan golden images of Moloch, the god, the demon to whom you sacrificed your children. Like, we can try to write it off if we want. We can say, well, you know what, I don't believe in demons, and if you say that, then you don't believe the Bible. You can't do that. Jesus regularly cast out demons from people. On several instances, he did it, and to act like that was just something that was happening at the time, but today, they're not really active is naive at best. Peter tells the church, do not be unaware of the schemes of the devil. Know that he exists know that he is scheming, know that he is working, but look at what Paul's saying. He's not even talking so much about what's out there in the world. That's kind of an easy conversation to have. He's talking about the demonic teaching that infiltrates the church. He says that people depart the faith and they devote themselves to the teaching of demons, that they fall for the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. What is Satan's scheme against you and against me? He wants us to believe lies. He wants us to fall for things that are not true. He wants you, just like from the beginning, to believe that God is withholding from you or that his word isn't trustworthy. He wants you to look anywhere else and everywhere else for faith and practice rather than right here. Brother and sister, Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. There's a spiritual war taking place, a battle between the cosmos. The God of this age is alive and unwell and he wants nothing more for you than to see you stop trusting God, to take your eyes off of Christ, to get you to depart the faith and to set your devotion anywhere else. And so he sends deceitful spirits even among the church. Hey, did you hear that? That's not true. If God were good, why would this be happening to you? If only these people knew who you were, if they only knew what went through your mind, what you have done, you wouldn't be here. They wouldn't let you in here. Look around here. These people are better than you. Their lives are together. Yours is a mess. They believe this stuff. You don't. You know your doubts. Follow them. You're just playing the game. God won't love you. Jesus can't save you or, okay, Jesus died. He did do that. Now it's up to you. Work harder, strive more. You failed again. It's not working. Maybe you should try something else. Any of y'all struggle with those? Those friends are deceitful spirits. Listen, the sheep of Jesus are to know his voice. That's what he said, right? My sheep hear me and they know my voice. But the sheep also need to know what a wolf sounds like. They need to be able to recognize the roar of a prowling, devouring lion. And you will know this difference as you come to know this word. For as you come to know God's word, you'll be able to distinguish truth from fiction. The voice of God from the voice of Satan. The authentic from the knockoff. Look, it's important to be able to to distinguish truth from lies and we need to be able to do it, but it's more than that. We need to be able, as Spurgeon said, to distinguish truth from almost truth that's where we will probably get hit. The teaching of demons isn't just that which is completely opposite to Christianity. It's that which is so close, so near, so familiar, but wrong. Demons come in deception. Even 2 Corinthians says that Satan comes to us disguised as an angel of light, that he masquerades, as an angel of light. You ever read the history of religion? History of Islam? History of Mormonism? How did Islam come to be? Uh, A man named Muhammad began having visions and hearing voices. So one day he's meditating on a mountain and an angel claiming to be the Archangel Gabriel comes to him and begins to instruct him and give him truth. And this truth becomes the basis of the holy book of Islam, The Quran. What about Mormonism? In 1820, Joseph Smith, a teenage boy of, what, 14, I think, was praying and he claimed that God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son appeared to him and told him that all the church and all the teaching of the church was wrong, that it had been corrupted and that a new gospel was coming. And a few years later, an angel named, um, I don't know how they say it, Morani, I doubt they say that. Moroni shows up and gives them another testimony of Jesus Christ, this time written on golden tablets. And when Joseph Smith gets the book, he's also given the means to translate from the tablets into a language that they could understand. And these translations later become the basis for Mormonism and the Church of Latter-day Saints. What do you think? Was Muhammad visited? Did Joseph Smith see an angel or did they just make it all up? You heard what Paul said. Satan comes masquerading as an angel of light. He also says in Galatians 1.8, but even if I or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. What does Satan want for you? He wants to take your eyes away from the Lord, to take your eyes and your heart away from truth. And, guys, he's powerful. He's deceptive. Do you think those guys saw something? You think Joseph Smith, you think Muhammad was visited? I say yes. Could be wrong. Some say they just made it up. I don't think so. I think they were visited. I think something came to them, but it wasn't God. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Gabriel. It was demons. And they got what they wanted. They deceived. And they gave demonic teaching to millions who are still holding it still believing it, still dying in it, and because of their rebellion, going to hell forever. What does Satan do? What does it look like? Usually it looks like this. He adds to or he takes away from Scripture. That he adds to or he takes away from. From Scripture. This is if you read the Quran and there is so much where it is riffing off the Bible where it's taking what the Bible says and adding to it and adding these different flares to it. That's what happens in Mormonism too. It's just another testimony that you take your Bible then you add the book of Mormon to it as well and Paul's actually saying this is happening in Ephesus also. This is the same sort of thing is happening at the church. Look what he says. What are they teaching? They're forbidding marriage and they're requiring abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. It doesn't seem like that bad, does it? What's wrong with it? Well, they're saying that this is the way you become spiritual. Spiritual. If you want to be truly spiritual, don't marry, stay single. If you want to be truly spiritual and really know God, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this. What's wrong with it? Forbidding marriage? The Bible doesn't do it. That's added. What's wrong with abstaining from certain foods? Well, the Bible doesn't command that either. And so what does Paul call what they're doing? He said, it's demonic. It's demonic teaching. It's not God's word. It's not God's law. It's something they added to it. And that right there is from hell. He says in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and by empty deceit. According to human tradition, According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What's the problem with what these men are teaching? It's not according to Christ, it's according to human tradition, it's according to deceptive philosophies that find their root in the elementary or the demonic spirits of the world. That if it's not of Christ, it's demonic. What does it do? It takes the focus off of him and puts it on you. It takes the focus off of Christ and it says, this is what spirituality is about, what you do and what you don't do. On what you eat and what you don't eat. On how you live and how you don't live. And it says, that's what it's about. It's about you. But friends, any religion without Christ and his atoning sacrifice, his perfect work at the very center is demonic. It comes from deceitful spirits. And if he's not the center, guess what replaces him? Rules, laws, performance-based righteousness, and human traditions. Things like don't marry don't eat, don't drink, don't taste, don't touch. And Paul says that's according to the spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Now, people will act like if you give laws of the New Testament that the, the, the church is giving, then you're being legalistic. That if you're preaching, look, the Bible says do this and the Bible says don't do this, well, that's just legalism. No, it's not. That's what the Bible tells us. To say what the Bible says is not judging. Even Paul says in verse six, that if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine you have followed. We are to be obedient to God. We are to obey him, and yet it's never our obedience that justifies us. It's Christ's obedience for us. It's never trusting our work, but trusting Christ's finished work for us. But when you fall for these things, you begin to set up rules that all people must follow even if it's not in here, then notice what he's saying. Those aren't just your rules. They're Satan's. For his desire is to get your eyes off of Christ and his performance and to set it on your own. So what does Paul do? Does he say, hey, just stop doing that. Stop ignoring food, stop prohibiting marriage. No, he actually goes past that to remind us of truth. And this is what he says, that everything God created is to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth that everything God created is good and none of it is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, I have had numerous people in this church come up to me and they will say things like, you know what, I grew up in the church and honestly, I was done with it. But the Lord has brought us here and we really like what's going on. I like being here. I like what's happening. What do you think is different? Look, so many of us grew up in the church, and if we're honest, our view of Christianity was this. Christianity means this. I can do that, but I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. That's off limits. There's laws about that. There's rules about that. I'm not supposed to and you felt so bound and so defeated by all the rules and all the failures that at some point you just gave up after a while. You found no joy, no freedom, no life in it, and so you just said, I'm done with it. Look, there's a reason for that. Notice what Paul is saying. Everything created by God is good, and it's to be received with Thanksgiving that you're not supposed to be going through this world and constantly thinking, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. That's off limits, that's bad, and that's bad too. Because when you do that, you have made your relationship with God completely based off of what you do and what you don't do and laws and rules that in most cases you've added anyways. That's of Satan. But instead... What Paul is saying is in Jesus Christ, you're made free. You're made free from sin and its punishment, for he's taken that for you. And you're free to enjoy this world and to know the God who created it. You're free to look around at this incredible and beautiful world and realize that everything that God created is good, and we can be thankful for it that it's all from him and meant to point you to his glory and his beauty and his provision for you and for me, that you're free to do this because Jesus is enough, because his gospel is true and by faith in him, you're made right with him, that that's what it's about. So friends, where are you today with this? Like, honestly, are you living as if you must earn your salvation? As if your relationship with Christ is just a bunch of rules of what to do and what not to do? Or do you know him? And do you love him? And do you know that he loves you? Is Jesus the center of your relationship and your religion, your life? Do you know that He lived and He died to set you free? And do you know that you're free in Christ, not to pursue bad, but to pursue good and to enjoy the world that He has laid out before you? Have you come to believe that the word is just not enough that it needs more in it? That this word's not sufficient for you. Friends, the law of the Lord is perfect. You can trust it wholly. So where are you today? Of what do you need to repent? Who do you need to forgive or from whom do you need to seek forgiveness? Are you right with the Lord through faith in Christ? Whatever it is, this is the word of the Lord. How will you hear, how will you believe and how will you respond? The Lord deals with us through his word. So let's take a moment to deal back with him. I might have the musicians come up. Whatever he's calling you to, obey him. And I'll be standing right down here.